0: Chapter 10 of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dr. Heather Hamptill. Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands by James T. Nichols. Chapter 10 A Glimpse of America's Friend, France. Although great in history, France is but a small country. It is interesting to note that all France could be placed in the state of Texas, and there would be room enough left for Belgium, Holland, Denmark, and Switzerland, one in each corner. Even then, Delaware and the District of Columbia could be put in for good measure, and the Lone Star State would still have more than 800 square miles to spare. About half of the people of France depend wholly upon agriculture for their living. Instead of living on farms, as we do, they live in small villages. Their farms are very small, generally running from 2 to 15 acres. As a rule, the soil is thin and unproductive, but with their patient toil, careful methods of farming, and a very liberal use of fertilizer, they raise abundant crops. Just about half of the soil of France is tilled, and about one-eighth is used for grazing, while all the famous vineyards of this country cover but about 4% of the ground. The balance is in forests and streams, highways, canals, and railways. When the war broke out there were about four million French families who owned their homes, and a thriftier and more industrious people could hardly be found. In 1871, when the heartless Bismarck insisted on having one billion dollar indemnity, besides the provinces of Alsace and Lorraine, he thought he had the people of France throttled for a generation, but to his very great amazement, every dollar of this huge sum was paid in less than three years. This fact is but an indication that the French are a race of savers. A silent revolution in the habits of the peasant people has been the outcome of the war. Ages ago an uprising took the land away from wealthy owners and gave it to the peasants. A few years later Napoleon had enacted, or rather established, a code by which a man's property was equally divided between his children thus if a man died leaving four children and an eight acre farm it was divided into four strips of two acres each then in the course of time one of these children died leaving four children his two acre farm was divided into four strips of a half acre each thus a great portion of the land is cut up into little strips and gardens through this intermarriage of children a family might own several of these strips of land often miles from each other this often brought complications and made it impossible to introduce modern farm implements and do away with much of the drudgery of peasant life. This is one advantage that grew out of the war in many places. In the devastated areas all landmarks were often obliterated, and in many cases the government brought in tractors and plowed great fields, which before the war were hundreds of little farms and gardens. Then, too, many of these peasants became greedy, selfish, individualist. Each man worked by himself and for himself, and the idea of cooperation was almost unknown. No ordinary farmer ever became able to have modern farm implements himself, and they never dreamed that several of them could go together and purchase a binder, a thresher, or tractor. Their one standby was the hoe, and not only the man, but his wife and children often had to work from daylight until dark, to keep the wolf from the door. Since the war a new day has dawned for the French peasantry. It was very hard for some of them to give up their old notions and customs but it meant a new order for all who were in the pathway of the war while the city of paris has been always known as the gay city yet the people in the country did not enjoy life in any such way they had no amusements no daily papers and in some places no songs the famous man with the hoe is a picture of the french farmer in many of the rebuilt villages now they have amusements and movies and in many cases public libraries have been started. It is said that in many of the farmhouses of the French peasantry may be seen hanging little colored prints representing the main professions. At the top of a stairway stands a king with the motto, I rule you all. On the step below is a priest who says, I pray for you all. Still farther down stands a soldier who says, I defend you all. But at the bottom of the stairway is the peasant whose motto is, I feed you all. The French peasant seemed to take this for granted, and never imagined that while doing it he might have advantages and pleasures that would help to make life worth living. Of course there are great industries and industrial centers in France. The city of Lille was before the war the Pittsburgh of France. This city was not only the center of a textile industry, but had scores and hundreds of factories, and machine shops of all kinds. While the city itself was not totally destroyed, the factories were almost completely ruined, IN SOME CASES, RAILROAD TRACKS WERE LAID INTO THE BUILDINGS, AND WHOLE trainloads OF COSTLY MACHINERY WERE SHIPPED OUT OF THE COUNTRY. I SAW THE INSIDE OF MANY OF THESE BUILDINGS WHERE HIGH EXPLOSIVES WERE USED, AND ALL THAT WAS LEFT WAS THE SHELL OF THE BUILDING, THE INSIDE BEING ONE MASS OF TWISTED IRON, GIRDERS, AND BROKEN CONCRETE. OF COURSE THE IDEA OF THE ENEMY WAS TO MAKE IT IMPOSSIBLE FOR FRENCH FACTORIES TO EVER AGAIN COMPETE WITH THEIR OWN, SO THEY ATTEMPTED TO DESTROY ALL THEY LEFT they especially looked after all patterns and plans and thought they were making a clean sweep in one case a great factory that covered sixty acres of ground was destroyed but the owners had a branch factory in southern france and immediately began manufacturing duplicate machinery so that when the war closed all that was needed was the transportation facilities to get the machinery to lille in the great coal fields about Lens, the works and machinery were so completely destroyed that one could hardly tell There were coal mines in the district at all the writer went over these ruins after the war closed and it is simply beyond the imagination to picture the actual conditions at that time the course of small rivers and streams were changed so that the water could be run into these mines one quite remarkable distinction is noticeable to a stranger going through france and that is that an occasional factory seems to be located in the midst of an agricultural district the land may be farmed on all sides up to the factory buildings The men often work in these factories, while the women and children, and old men, do the work on the farms. Portions of southern France are noted for the beautiful vineyards. Bordeaux and other brands of wine are famous the world around. Some of our boys are laughing yet about the French methods of making wine. The grapes are gathered and piled into a great vat. When this receptacle is filled, men, women, and children take off their shoes, and most all of their clothes, and climb in. Here they walk and jump and tramp until the whole thing is a mass of pulp. In the meantime the wine is continually draining out and being cared for by others after they have tramped out all the juice possible by this method the remains are put into a great press something like a cider press after all the wine has been extracted by these various methods they use the pulp in the manufacture of a powerful intoxicant but this is not generally used as a beverage of course all understand that in many places they have modern machinery and make wine along scientific lines but in many cases they use these old methods to this day the courage of the french people is sublime even in the darkest days their faith never wavered and they firmly believed they would be victorious as a monument of this faith there is in paris today the most wonderful painting perhaps that was ever put upon canvas it is called the pantheon de guerre and is a marvelous cycloramic painting of the war it was opened up to the public soon after the armistice was signed and the writer saw it while attending the peace conference many remember the wonderful representation of the battle of gettysburg which used to be in chicago this Paris cyclorama is along the same line but ten times more wonderful it is three hundred and seventy four feet in circumference and forty five high the actual preparation of this began in october nineteen fourteen and while the army of the invaders was within thirty miles of paris and the big guns were shaking the city more than twenty artists were working on the marvellous production the central figure is a woman mounted upon a high pedestal which stands in front of a huge temple and she is holding aloft the laurel wreath of victory upon the first step of a giant stairway which leads to the temple is a group of french heroes which includes joffre Foch, petain and many others while in front of them are guns and flags bearing marks of conflict the only allusion to germany in the whole painting is in the battle-scarred flags and guns which were used in the first battle of the marne upon this gigantic stairway are life-size figures of more than five thousand people nearly every one of which is a life sketch of some french hero of the war among them are many women whose heroic work and influence will live for just across the opposite side of the painting from this scene is depicted a gigantic tomb on the top of which is a group of soldiers holding aloft a great coffin in which is a dead companion at the base and on the steps is a woman dressed in mourning, kneeling in the attitude of prayer, while nearby is a wreath inscribed to the unknown dead. Back of the tomb in the distance you can see the rays of the setting sun, and in some indescribable way they are lighting up the faces of those on the temple stairway like a beautiful rainbow of promise, while the tomb itself is left in the shadows of the declining day. In the group representing Belgium it is only natural that Edith Cavill should have a prominent place, To be sure king albert and his queen and others are there as in belgium the first casualties occurred it is fitting that here alone is seen a wounded man and the red cross workers are caring for him as he lies upon a stretcher here too are seen the broken pieces of a cathedral tower with a chalice and altar and cardinal mercier in his priestly robes while lying on the steps between him and the king's is the torn scrap of paper but it would take pages of this book to give an adequate description of the entire panorama Of course, all the allies are represented. In a group representing the United States, President Wilson is one of the chief figures. I am told that the picture of General Pershing is a life-size painting, which he was kind enough to sit for, to be used in this production. Here is also seen an American Indian, a cowboy, a merchant, and an artisan. An American flag is borne aloft while four West Point cadets suggest training and leadership. Women relief workers of all kinds are seen. Then, extending entirely around the room above and back of all these groups, is a profile map of France from the Channel to the Swiss border. Here can be seen the principal towns and cities involved during the war. Here, too, can be seen all the modern implements of war, and everything is actual or life-size. As I stood gazing upon this wonderful production of artistic genius, my own brain almost reeled, and I staggered at the immensity and vividness of it. One moment the perspiration would break out, and the next moment it was hard to keep the tears back pride beauty indignation mourning genius art science invention generalship statesmanship honor love tenderness devotion heroism and glory are all intermingled in a most marvelous way the opportunity to behold and study this great panorama of war is almost worth a trip to paris then to think of the faith and courage it must have taken to work on and on while the shells from the big guns were bursting at regular intervals during the day And the bombs dropping from the airplanes above at night. All this fills and thrills one's heart with admiration for the French people. End of chapter 10. Recording by Heather Hamtill.